Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Hey everybody, Dan Lobby here from the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And I want to tell you about Cleveland.com's Football Insider. It is our exclusive content for Browns fans and you can find it at cleveland.com slash Browns. Uh, you sign up, you can check out the free trial. It's $3.99 a month. After that, you get texts from Mary Kay Cabot and then every day in your inbox, you get a newsletter from us. It includes all of our Browns content, but also at the very top of the newsletter, an exclusive piece of content that we don't put any place else on the website. Sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's a, a deep dive into some stats, sometimes it's some predictions for uh, for an upcoming game. Uh, Mary Kay writes it, Scott Patsko writes it, uh, Ellis Williams, Doug Maurice, I write it. Uh, you'll get all that from us, so check that out. Football Insider, it's at cleveland.com slash browns. Here's the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thursday. I'm Dan Lobby. Ellis Williams over here. I'm Mary Kay Cabot. And I'm Scott Patsko. So there you go. Four voices on the podcast here. You're going to be hearing the four of us uh, a lot as we go along here uh, on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. As I said, it is Thursday. Uh, what night when we're recording this? Let's get into five headlines of the week and let's look all the way back to Monday night football. The Browns went on a national stage. They went to San Francisco and they got blown out by the 49ers 31-3. to yeah, unlike the primetime game on Sunday night where the Browns were able to take the Rams uh, to one last stand in the red zone, this game was essentially over in the third quarter. Uh, the Browns got beat in every aspect of the game, and the ratings dropped as ESPN announced. This game uh, was ugly right from the start. Yeah, I think the only reason that we continue to watch it is because we had to. Uh, topic <laughs> number two coming out of the game and probably causing more interest than the game itself was handshake gate. Richard Sherman told the NFL Network that Baker Mayfield did not shake his hand uh, in the pregame coin toss. Then video surfaced and everyone broke down all the video and saw that Baker Mayfield did, in fact, shake Richard Sherman's hand. And Richard Sherman went on Pat McAfee's podcast or radio show and said uh, that he owes Baker Mayfield an apology. Yeah, I think the takeaway from this is the fact that whether or not uh, that happened, Richard Sherman felt disrespected by Baker Mayfield. Nick Bosa had an axe to grind. So I think the big takeaway here is that Baker Mayfield does have a target on his back. I think it matters. I think that his team is going to have to continually defend against that. Headline number three, Baker Mayfield talked on Wednesday, his weekly press conference, his weekly meeting with the media, and he was asked about Odell Beckham, and he said that basically, yes, Odell is going to get frustrated when he's not getting the football, 
and when the Cleveland Browns are losing. You would hope that he's not satisfied if he gets the ball eight times and they still lose. But it's understandable. He's had two catches in the last two games. He hasn't had a two-catch game before this season since the second game of his rookie year. He's never gone two games in a row with less than four catches. So he said later uh, on in the week that he was brought here to help. Um, I'm sure he doesn't feel like he's helping as much as he can. So the frustration, I think, isn't just him. It's the entire offense, and he's a focal point because of who he is. All right, headline number four, Steve Wilkes in his weekly press conference on Thursday called the defensive performance embarrassing, and he took the blame for the defensive performance, said that he had his team in a position where they overthought things, they had to think too much, and he basically said that he should have known better. Yeah, look, anytime the first play uh, of an offense is an 83-yard rushing touchdown, embarrassing fits. But this defense continues to be the best part of the Browns team. Steve Wilkes' unit is going to keep this team in games as the season goes on. So sure, Wilkes today took the blame, Was it said they were embarrassed, taking the high road here, but really he's been the best part of this team so far, and I expect that to continue. All right, and our last headline of the week, and then we'll get into uh, some deeper topics here. It's the, uh, I guess, the news that keeps on giving. Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams still dealing with those hamstring injuries. Uh, They have returned to the practice field. They have not worked on the side. They are still listed as limited in practice. It is still unclear as to whether they'll be able to play on Sunday against the Seahawks. We talked to Greedy Williams uh, on Wednesday, and he said he wasn't sure. It's a day-to-day thing. We haven't talked to Denzel Ward yet, but it's pretty much the same thing. So still not sure if those two are going to play on Sunday afternoon. And the thing to consider here is that they have a bye week coming up after this game. So it probably would be wise to rest these guys through the bye week, let those hamstrings heal up, don't risk them, and get them back for the rest of the season. If I were running the show, that's what I would do. But Freddie also says you know, that he would like to put his best foot forward for the Seahawks. All right, so those are our five headlines for the week here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, let's get into some topics a little bit deeper. Uh, some of this is coming from the game as, as we head into this game against the Seahawks uh, on Sunday. And let's just start with the quarterback play, guys. Baker Mayfield uh, really struggling right now, coming off his best performance of the year against the Ravens. Uh, he looked really bad against the 49ers. Now, the 49ers have made a lot of quarterbacks look really bad, uh, but Baker Mayfield had a rating in the teens. Uh, he, again, was under pressure all day, continued to look uncomfortable, Um, in the pocket so I guess the question here is what exactly do you guys think is wrong with Baker Mayfield I know it's something the Browns are trying to figure out and and Ellis you did a a post on kind of Baker looking for Odell and and maybe not seeing him open so that's part of the issue we'll start with you here what what do you think is wrong with Baker right now I think uncomfortable is the perfect word Uh, he is antsy in the pocket that likely starts from him not trusting his old line when he does have a clean pocket. Uh, he kind of thinks he doesn't, tends to retreat. Some of these uh, seven-yard throws, specifically in the red zone, are turning into 14, 15, 16-yard throws because he's retreating so far. Uh, the book's out that he retreats right uh, in panic and that what worked last year is not working now. So what's wrong with Baker Mayfield? It's a lot. Uh, these things are correctable. But it's the the panic in the pocket from what I'm assuming is a lack of trust in his old line that I think is is a core part of this. I think that uh, when you look back to last season, 
they, they played a lot of crappy defenses, and I've been saying that for a long, long time. They just didn't have a whole lot of Aaron Donalds running around wreaking havoc on this offensive line. They didn't have a lot of Nick Bosa's completely taking over a game and just wrecking uh, the whole situation. And I think they got a little bit of a false sense of security about how good they really were. I think they believed their own press clippings. I think Baker believed his 27 touchdown passes were all real ones. I think some of it was fool's gold. You're supposed to beat the, the Bengals and things like that, but, uh, you know, the Bengals that they beat twice, you know, that's different than, than going out to San Francisco and playing against the 49ers and that defensive front. So I think they've run into some much better defensive fronts. I think teams have a book on Baker Mayfield this year that they didn't have before. They had the whole entire summer uh, to to study this young man and all the hype about this football team. So teams focused on them. Those are some things. Rashard Higgins has been out. I don't think that's helped matters because uh, when he wants to get the ball out quickly, he looks for Rashard. And Rashard hasn't been there for the first four games. I think that hurts him. I don't think he does have that trust yet that Odell Beckham is going to be exactly where he needs him to be when he needs him to be there. And I don't know. I just feel like these are some of the issues with Baker right now. And Ellis, you're right about going right. He, if you look at his uh, his throw chart from Next Gen Stats, all the little dots were around the right side, and you know that Bosa was coming over uh, from the left. But I put a poll up earlier this week asking what what's why is Baker Mayfield struggling? And 29% said the offensive line isn't protecting him. Which I think if you if you look at some deeper stats, you can see that it's not all the offensive line's fault. It's Baker not having that trust and kind of putting himself in bad situations. Uh, other teams have figured him out. That was 16%. Uh, Kitchen's play calls have failed Mayfield. That was something that people were talking about earlier in the season. I don't know if it's as big of a thing now. I think more people are looking at, at, at Baker himself. Um, <laughs> he did too many commercials over the offseason. 6%. <laughs> 249 people. Wow. think that that's a problem. Wow. So, you know, it could be anything. Maybe it was too many commercials, but uh, I... Yeah, I think it's a combination of things, and 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 a lot of it uh, starts with Baker himself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's easy to to point at the offensive line and say he's not getting protected, and these guys aren't doing their jobs. And, and Scott, you mentioned, I mean, there are stats out there that show that Baker Mayfield has a time to throw the football. Um, now, not all the time, and the offensive line has failed him at times. I think, yeah. you know, one of the things that you, the realities of being a shorter quarterback is when a lineman gets pushed back into you, like on that throw to Antonio Callaway, it's harder to make that accurate throw. And now Callaway had to make that catch at the goal line, but the throw was just a little bit off. Again, Callaway had to catch it. That's on Callaway. But Baker wasn't really able to step into that throw and deliver it exactly where he wanted to um, because he had somebody getting pushed back into him. So there's just so many things going on right now with, with this offense. And, of course, the other reality here is if you're Baker Mayfield, if you play poorly, there's a bunch of people out there ready to pile on you because you kind of put that target on your back a little bit. And there's a bunch of people like like Rex Ryan, uh, any other national guy out there who, who wants to make some headlines on a Monday or a Tuesday, they're going to jump all over you. So, so if you're struggling, you're struggling in the spotlight. I think that um, before the season, I was told that Baker cannot go to his right. So I was told that by, by some coaches before the season. And I think that defensive coordinators got a book on that, and they are intentionally flushing him to his right. And I don't think that's helping at all. Uh, and there's other little nuances of, of his game 
that these good defensive coordinators, really good defensive coordinators that they have played this year, I mean, Wade Phillips, all these guys are, are such really good veteran guys, um, and they're they're picking him apart a little bit. And I think the interceptions have gotten into his head a little bit. He's thrown a lot of interceptions, and I don't know if this is true, but somebody said since last year he's thrown more interceptions than any any other starting quarterback. I have to look that up. Is that true? I've, heard, I've heard that too. I didn't check it. Yeah, so we need to check that out. But somebody texted me that the other day. Uh, so maybe the interceptions are getting into his head a little bit, uh, and, and he's starting to, to be – uh, a little bit less confident, a little bit skittish. And if you take away Baker's swagger, his moxie, his confidence, you're taking away half of his game. Yeah, and to elaborate on what you said, Mary Kay, earlier about last year this team beating teams they should have, some lesser defenses to say the least, um, we're talking about a Baker Mayfield here that won the Heisman, goes first overall, plugs in, and the Bud Light fridges get opened, and there's videos around Cleveland right. of people chanting his name already. Yep. Um, this success came to him very quickly. Right. And then you add Odell Beckham, the clips and the hype, all of that train gets moving, and now we're dealing with the reality here of opponents, as you said, in the Rams and now the Niners, who not only have tape on him, but are just simply better than what he's faced. Mm-hmm. And this is his f- first true t- test of adversity, but when he had that early success, now we enter a summer where, you know, things just worked out for him. They continued to work out despite people doubting him. So why would he not keep doing what he's doing? Well, this right. is what happens in this league. It humbles you quickly, as any NFL veteran will tell you and has said on air. And now it's, it's gut check time for this Browns team. Yeah, I think the one way you can compare Johnny Manziel to Baker Mayfield, everybody wants to see both wanted to see both of them fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same way. That's like the one definitive yeah. comparison you can make, and you know that's something Baker has to deal with this year. Yeah, the, the good news is, unlike with Johnny, we we have seen the tools. Baker Mayfield right. has them mm-hmm. and, and has the ability to uh, to improve on what we've seen. Okay, I'm going to read you guys a quote here from Jarvis Landry, and we're going to react to it. Uh, this is just part of what he had to say today. Uh, but he was basically asked why it's been so hard to get him involved and, and Jarvis Lan- and uh, Odell Beckham involved. And uh, his response, I don't call plays, right? So I just say, from my perspective, we have to be intentional. We have to just deliberately get him the ball, meaning Odell, get all of our playmakers the ball, guys that are going to make plays for us, just get them the ball. Who wants to go first here? You go. Yeah, so th- this, is, this is really interesting today. We've been talking about it for a bit. Um, there's a lot of truth to that, and the part that stands out there at first is the play calling, but what I want to look at is it's more of a indictment on on-field decision-making, which is Baker Mayfield. Watching the tape, there's too many times where Mayfield has premeditated where he's going to throw the football. Um, not seeing when Odell Beckham Jr. has single coverage. Um, Todd Munkin alluded to it today in, with the press saying, a lot of times, Beckham is double-covered, but it's not 100% of the time. Defenses simply can't do that, and this team is failing at recognizing when Beckham is single-covered, and that lands on Mayfield. And, you know, Coach Kitchen should be able to help him, too, with the headset, but again, at the line, you need to know where the ball should go, and too much I'm seeing Baker premeditating where he's throwing the football, and that's a recipe for disaster in this league. So I think what Jarvis is also saying is that 
understanding where the ball needs to go or just getting through your progressions is going to naturally get Odell Beckham Jr. the ball rather than say, hey, play calling and these gimmicks that gets Beckham the football. It's what needs to happen before the snap, and that lands on Baker Mayfield's shoulders. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, I asked Jarvis that point blank when he was saying, play calling, play calling, play calling. I said, but wait a minute. Isn't it also Odell is somewhere in the progression and he's getting missed? And Jarvis was like, well, yeah, sure, but play calling, play calling, play calling. So I think he was, he had a statement he wanted to make today. And that statement was, uh, the play calling is they are not focusing enough on getting Odell the ball or me the ball. Because at one point he was asked, uh, hey, do you have any good ideas for a third and 19 play? Since they were third and long a lot in 49ers. He said, uh, yeah, throw it to 13 or 80. So he's he's really trying to say, you know, you, you brought us here to help you guys win a championship and you're wasting us. And, and I think... I think he's putting it mostly on the play calling, even more so on Baker. Now, you're seeing something different on film, but that's that's where he seemed to be coming from. I, I understand the idea of taking what they give you. Um, that's been there. I think Doug Lee Maurice wrote a piece uh, this week uh, on how they are using those players who aren't Odell and Jarvis. You know, the... Mm-hmm. Uh, your tight ends, your Demetrius Harris trying to hit him in the back of the end zone instead of looking for you know one of your top receivers, um, that kind of thing. But at the same time, I don't. They are trying to get the ball to Odell. He had 11 targets, I think, in Week One. He had seven against the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Caught yeah. two. He had six last week. Yep, they're dwindling. Um, He's 13 or 12th in the league. In targets yeah, right now. Um, but you're it's right, there. Um, but obviously, there's something that isn't in sync, and there's something that where when they are trying to get him the ball, it isn't. It isn't maybe the time when they should be trying to do it, whereas, like you said, the the single coverage is what they should be looking for. So it's there. It's, it's taking longer than I think anybody thought it would, um, but I don't see them. I don't see it as it's failed. The Odell Beckham trade was not worth it. They're trying to get him the ball. It's just, mm-hmm. just not connecting. Yeah, I, I think it's... I mean, it's tricky because on the one hand, I, I mean, I think a couple of weeks ago we were being critical that maybe Baker was looking downfield too much, you know, and trying to find those big plays too much. Then they go into that Ravens game, and I think a lot of that game was about when it wasn't Nick Chubb breaking off huge runs. It was about Baker was just delivering the ball to people. The ball, he was distributing. He was playing point guard. Um, and then against San Francisco, I don't, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it, and, and we're going to get into the play calling a little more here in, in a little bit when we talk about Freddie Kitchens, I do think there's some play calling issues. I think there's. Uh, I, I just think that we're not seeing the kind of play calling mojo that we saw a, a year ago, and, and I think that's uh, that's something that has to get fixed. And the the real quick the the takeaway for me from the Landry thing today, for the most part, uh, regardless of what he said and how accurate it was and whether it's the real situation that is going on, the real reason why uh, this isn't going well. The takeaway for me is that he was willing to basically stand up there and and criticize Freddie Kitchen's play calling. And to me, Freddie's always like, we run together, we stick together. And this was a sign of of Jarvis being willing to step outside of that and say, hey, we have a problem here with the play calling. And Jarvis, 
is the leader in that in that room. Mm-hmm. He is I, every receiver I've talked to on this team when I've brought up Jarvis instantly, yeah. whether I ask about his leadership or not. Right. I hear about his leadership and what he's meant to that room. So, so there's a lot there. Interesting point on that. It, watching the tape, um, Jarvis had I think four catches for 75 yards early in the second quarter, uh, and that's how his stat line ended. Mm-hmm. And then you go uh, the first series of the third quarter after halftime. Uh, Obviously, the Niners go down and score, and the Browns respond with three pass plays, all Odell Beckham Jr. targets. So I think that is a sign that Freddie and Baker deliberately go, you know, they go in the locker room and say, okay, mm-hmm. we need to throw Odell the ball. Um, but schematically, it's not working, and we're going to get into kitchens and the design here in a second. But there is a lot of truth to what I think Jarvis is saying, whether mm-hmm. it's. Um, because his numbers do look good this year, but it was more about a statement mm-hmm. rather than right. what his actual numbers are saying. Right. All right, we're going to play this game again. Uh, we're going to uh, I'm going to read a Jarvis quote. Mm-hmm. We're going to react to it uh, because I thought this one was interesting as well. Um, he says, our focus has to be on we may not be as good as we thought we were, and we need to find ways to play to our potential. We just haven't been playing to our potential. Okay. So Jarvis basically saying that, uh, I don't know, I guess if you want to read into that, saying maybe they bought into the hype a little bit, even though we've heard over and over again that they weren't buying into the hype, and that was something Freddie Kitchens worked really hard to make sure didn't happen. The reality is it's really difficult to not buy buy into the hype when you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you're on the cover of GQ, uh, you've got national media coming here, and they're, you know, I mean, The Ringer does a whole series on you, a whole week-long series as part of their NFL preview um, this was the media darling team all off season. So even if they're trying not to buy into the hype, it's hard not to do. And maybe these first few weeks have been a reality check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to counter with uh, a Freddie Kitchens quote from today. Essentially a cliche, but he said early he realized this league is a week to week league. Um, we're not having this conversation, obviously, um, if we're coming off the Ravens blowout win when they put 40 points on the board. They go into Seattle comes here and you know Jarvis and Odell get their fair catches and they win this game. The conversation changes very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So sure, is there uh, they're not as good as they may have thought? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. That this is clearly not a Super Bowl team, if even a wild card team right now. That's where I think there's truth in this, but there just can't be a a world where we get ahead of ourselves here with that this team is not put potentially going to win this division because it is set up for that but a lot of this is them getting their frustrations out as they should that that locker room is an interesting place right now uh, and for good reason when you get be like that on monday night yeah I, th- I think that's that's that is important to remember i mean this is a reactionary league right that's mm-hmm. the way it's set up you yep. play once a week and you spend a week reacting to a team i mean how would we be talking about seattle if Greg Zerline's kick goes sure. a few inches to the left. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about a completely different Seahawks team, a team that blew a lead against the Rams and is coming off a tough loss. And, you know, as of now, I think we're talking about them as, you know, contenders again. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. This is a week-to-week reactionary league. Um, we just need to kind of dig in and, and try and find the things that are real. And you know, some of the stuff here might be real. Yeah. Well, I think when I look at these first five weeks – what I find somewhat disturbing is that they have been so blown out yeah. in two of yeah, their two five games. Yeah. Two blowout losses. Now, 
everyone in this town can say what they will about Hugh Jackson, but when he was with Cody Kessler and Deshaun Kaiser, they didn't get blown out like this. And he didn't have Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. Now, again, they're playing some really good teams. If they had started the season with two games against Pittsburgh, two games against Cincinnati, a game against the Miami Dolphins, and a game against the Cardinals, we also wouldn't be having this conversation right now. (laughs) They have hit the unbelievable, grueling stretch in their schedule, which, of course, also includes a Sunday date against the Seahawks, then they take the the bye week, and then they go up to, to New England. But I think what Jarvis means by this is that, you know, maybe we are not the Chiefs yet. Maybe we're not, you know, even the Rams yet, and we're probably not the Patriots yet. You know, like maybe we're not quite that yet, but we have to get our act together and at least try to live up to our potential. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost the trend that we had last season, where they got blown out by the Texans, they got blown out by the Chiefs, the mm-hmm. good teams they played over the second half. But mm-hmm. that Titans game kind of just you know makes you shake your head and think what what happened, uh, especially being the first game. I looked at that Jarvis quote as. And, and he did, I felt like he kind of walked that back after that where he kind of got into more about pilling up the potential. Mm-hmm. But I looked at that as him kind of exerting his leadership and mm-hmm. trying to make sure that if his teammates read that, yep. that maybe they snap into focus and make sure everybody's ready to go this week because they are two and three. They are a game behind now. Yep. And you don't, I personally don't think it's a huge issue if they're two and five in a few weeks. But obviously, I'm sure they do, mm-hmm. and they don't want to be two and five. Um, so he wants to avoid that, and I think that probably had a lot to do with what he said. Yeah, yeah let, let's read this other quote. And there's a little loaded line in here. If you guys listen real close, yeah, uh, he was asked, you know, did you say we may not be as good as we thought we were? He says, yeah. Well, what I'm saying is we haven't been playing to our potential. We haven't been the disciplined football team that we would like to be. We haven't been making enough plays, whether we've been put in position or not. Our playmakers haven't really been given a lot of opportunities to make plays. We're two and three, and easily a couple of those games, our record again could be flipped or four and one. So he kind of he doesn't necessarily double down on it, but he turns it back into this opportunities thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think the two and five thing is interesting too. I don't have this written down as a topic, but I think it's something we can veer into a little bit. Um, if this team gets to that worst case scenario, mm-hmm. and let's say they lose on Sunday. And they lose to New England, and they're two and five. Um, what? I mean, is that a, a spot for despair? I mean, I'm, I wrote in my takeaways post earlier this week that it's not, but mm-hmm. it just puts more pressure on. Now you've got to beat a really good Buffalo team, and now you've got to beat the Ravens at the end of December. Mm-hmm. And just because you beat the Ravens once doesn't mean you're going to beat them again. Right. So it just puts a little more pressure on those games that aren't as easy in the second half. You don't really have that wiggle room. And the other thing is you can't. You know, on a Thursday night against Pittsburgh, you know, Thursday night games are completely random. And sometimes you're banged up and uh, you're not in great shape. And Pittsburgh is a team that can play a little defense, at least, if nothing else. You know, now you can't have a hiccup against a team like that either. So I, I think the the issue at 2-5 and five isn't that you can't get where you want to get to. It's that now you've almost got no room for error. So if the Browns end up 2-5, and five, I'll tell you what that means. It means that the AFC North is the worst division in football. I was, I was hoping you were going to say it means they're going to go 11-5. <laughs> that's, uh, that's possible, huh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because where I'm going with this is that it would mean 
really not much has changed. This they would still very much be in this division with you know a must another a must win with Baltimore, which they've already done in Baltimore. So you'd figure Baltimore coming here, nothing's a guarantee, of course, but um, they've already proven they can do that once. Uh, Lamar Jackson looks like the book is out on him. You know, I'm talking about Baker. Mm-hmm. It also looks like Lamar's got some stuff to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cincinnati's competing for the first overall pick, and Pittsburgh's starting their third quarterback. So uh, it would solidify that they're in, again, the worst division in football most likely, and they still would very much be alive to make the playoffs. And you don't want to be playing your best football um, prior to Thanksgiving. You want to hit that in December, and the Browns are going to have every opportunity. You know, Freddie often says uh, this is a new experience for me and for person X and person Z. Well, they're going to have all the time they need to figure this out or they're really going to fall flat on their face because um, we're looking at a division right now that really, if this team goes to 2-5, and five, that no one wants to win. Yeah, and I, I think some of the things to consider uh, when you get to 2-5, and five, even though intellectually we all know and they should know, they can make all that ground up in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. They can make it up very easily. They can still reach all their goals win the division. But when you get to 2-5, and five, especially when you have like a blowout loss like this and what if you have another one uh, over the next two weeks, then it does start to, uh, you know, you, you start to have the chinks in the armor. You start to have people saying, hey, the play calling, you know, maybe isn't what it should be. Uh, you start to have people like Odell Beckham Jr. showing up for his press conference today seeming morose. Yeah. I mean, you guys, he was down today at the podium Odell Beckham should not be down right now. They're two and three with an opportunity to even their record against the Seahawks on Sunday at three and three. I mean, they're still so in it. I mean, like you can't be showing that kind of body language when you're a leader on the football team. You've got to be like, we still have everything in front of us. We're going to do everything that we can. We're going to get it right, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you need to be hearing. So that's why I think... They have to avoid two and five because you just don't want leaks to be springing everywhere. Right now, even before these next two games, the Browns have the second easiest strength of schedule over the rest of the season in the AFC, I believe. Um, Now, I think a lot of the next two games will have to do not so much if they win or lose, but how how they play. You know, if if Mm -hmm. it's a Rams situation where it's a close game. Right. That's different than, you know, like, like yeah. what we saw against yeah. the 49ers. Then right. it's okay, so you do make up that ground over the rest of the season, but then you know you got your butts kicked by these good teams that you can end up seeing, you know, in the Patriots and the playoffs and the Chiefs, you know, are going to be there. So um, how they look over the next two games, I think, is more important than whether or not they win or lose. Yeah, I, and I, I think, too, you know, outside of Miami and Cincinnati, and I know Pittsburgh kind of stinks right now, but I, I just hate. I hate just penciling in W's, yeah. you know, across right. the board in this league. Right, especially and, and by the way, I mean, people may, you know, folks can go on Twitter and kill me for this, but the Broncos are not as bad as their record. Uh, and they just true. played a really good game against the Chargers. Um, and they lost by, what, like two to the Bears because of a bad timeout that the goals. Bears shouldn't have been given. Yeah. Now, that's not a good team, but that's a team that's better than their record. And I don't think is necessarily an easy, you know, it's not a gimme. But, you know, again, the good news is you got Miami. That's a gimme because they don't want to win that game. The Bengals should be at a point where they don't want to win another game. Uh, there's kind of, LSU and I were talking earlier about the race to 0-16. Yes. <laughs> there's a, there's a yes. few teams uh, going at that race, and the Browns get a couple of those teams uh, on their schedule. So They just don't uh, want to Mary- be in a position where they need help. They want to control their own destiny. And if right. you screw around too much, yep. 
then then you're in trouble. And we are assuming that Baker Mayfield's going to stay healthy. And sure. we're assuming that Odell Beckham's going to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And that Miles is going right, to stay healthy. Right. But a lot of quarterbacks have already gone down. And with the way Baker is getting hit, and he's playing two great defenses coming up, you know, you just never know. So you can't pencil in every victory. Yep. Okay, uh, back on back on track here. Let's talk about Freddie Kitchens. Um, welcome to life as an NFL head coach. Mm-hmm. As, as we talked about, a very reactionary league. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't that long ago that Freddie Kitchens was a, uh, a running backs coach, an associate head coach that we didn't really know a whole lot about. Uh, now here he is, the head coach of a, a team with expectations that's two and three. Again, going through everything in the national spotlight, going through everything. Um, you, you know, with this tough schedule early. And the thing he has to do is, if this does go to 2-5 and five or, you know, and I haven't decided who I'm going to pick on Sunday. This team could very well go out and beat the Seahawks. I, I want to make it clear. I don't think any of us believe that, like, this team can't win on Sunday. I don't know if right. we're going to pick them or not. We'll figure that out later. But um, this team can certainly go out and win Sunday and make everything fine. But... If things continue to go the wrong way, Freddie's got to be able to hold this team together, and that's a difficult task for a first-year head coach. Yeah, one thing I'm noticing with Freddie is we all talk about his creativity, and you know that's what was attractive about this hire. Um, he has these gadgets in his arsenal, which he clearly is happy to display, whether it's the reverse pass for Beckham. I mean, he's thrown a pass two straight weeks now, Odell Beckham has. Um, but what I'm not seeing is... The, the depth of creativity and an example of that is when watching film I saw um, it was the, the Browns first red zone chance against the 49ers uh, Baker threw left and uh, 49ers defended the pass to uh, Demetrius Harris the tight end uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is open on the right side in essentially single zone coverage um, on a little in breaking route and did not get the ball the very next play, Freddie comes back with a similar concept, essentially on the right side, running the exact same route with Odell Beckham against Richard Sherman, and Richard Sherman doesn't bite. What worries me about that is someone with the depth there comes back to that later, sees it, and comes back to it later, rather than feeling the urgency that, okay, we need to put this in the end zone now. This team feels desperate for touchdowns, and that's a problem because... You're running, he runs out of tricks very quickly. So the flash is there. So we, we had this creative bubble around him, like, oh, well, Odell's getting pitches and Odell's throwing a pass. But the depth of the creativity is absent, and that is likely attributed to just having all the things on the plate that come with being a first-year mm-hmm. NFL head coach. Right. And, I mean, we have to remember, Freddie Kitchens never been an offensive coordinator before he was promoted last year to interim offensive coordinator. Now, all of a sudden, he is head coach and offensive coordinator. So he has an incredible amount of stuff on his plate. He's overseeing the whole thing. And from all the you know people that I've talked to last year, uh, they did kind of have their, uh, their defined roles, and they had it sort of figured out. By the time he took over, I mean, they already had... Uh, you know, Bob Wiley was in charge of this, and uh, Al Saunders was in charge of the red zone. Uh, you know, Ken, Ken Zampezi was in charge of, you know, the base passing game, and I think third down. Whatever the case may be, they all had it sort of figured out and sorted out. Whereas this year, it's an amalgamation of 
what Todd Munkin's bringing to the table, what James Campen is bringing to the table from a protection scheme and run game standpoint. Uh, you've got what Freddie's doing. You've got some ideas from Ryan Lindley. And he wanted to be so collaborative, Freddie did, that I think he just took in too much information. You have to decide who you are and what you are. And you can't be in OTAs trying to figure out what your identity is going to be. Now, I think they're starting to figure it out. Run game, play action, get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. That's really what it's supposed to be. But it's a work in progress, and it's new to Freddie and everybody else on this offensive staff. This, this season feels like what we should have seen last season when Freddie took over as play yeah. caller. Like, right. The, uh, it almost seems like he's an interim coach that just got this job, and he's kind of figuring it out week to week because every week there's something that come back and yeah. there's big questions about the offense and how it's how it's performing and right. we didn't really see much of that last year. Um, it just you hit the ground after that Chiefs game it, and it just kind of took off and uh, yeah, there's you know struggling in the red zone, which is something they really didn't last season, especially with Baker right. throwing the ball. Right. Um, suddenly that's an issue and um, the trick plays are nice. I mean that pitch to to Chubb worked great Mm -hmm. um but almost all those plays worked last season now this season not so much you know the Odell uh throw uh I think the first one he had where he had to kind of duck between two people um that was like the best thing to happen in that play (laughs) was him avoiding avoiding getting tackled for a loss and everything else just kind of failed so even those things aren't as successful as they were last year Mm -hmm. and it just for whatever reason Freddie is is facing the adversity that, that he didn't face last year right um Pop quiz. Yeah. Okay. What is the uh, what is the 49ers offensive identity? Run the football. Okay. Zone blocking. Right? Um, what right. about the Seahawks? Run the football. Okay, and, and Russell Wilson, and Russell, yeah. right? Creativity with Russell Wilson. Uh, let's see, who else have they played? The Rams. Rams are kind of run the football. Yeah. So we we kind of know what the Rams identity right, play action. Yeah. Um, you go to, even the Titans, right? What's the Titans identity? Draw penalties. <laughs> Draw penalties. Yeah. But pound the football, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that that needs to be the Browns' identity, but the point I'm making here is you start looking at good teams. I'm not saying the Titans are necessarily a good team, but you look at some of these teams and you can, you know, I say their name, I say they're the Ravens. We know the Ravens' identity like that. Oh. Do we know the Browns' identity? Do we know what they're trying to do on offense? No, because it's it's one play. They're they're the gimmick team that's gonna you know beat you deep and make a Sports Center top ten highlight. The the next they're Nick Chubb uh, with a career day, and then the other times they're throwing, trying to throw deep, and Baker's getting sacked. So are they a deep pass team? Are they a run team? Or are they a gimmick offense? Uh, to your point, I, we can't figure it out. Well, you know, I don't even know one hundred percent if they have to have one set identity but I think yeah. they need to have a series of things that they do really incredibly well and then game plan for your opponent and attack your opponent's weaknesses so if that week obviously they're a, a weaker run defense then you can feature Nick Chubb you can feature Nick play, uh, play action more and things like that so I don't think I mean I think they they have a couple different ways to go with their strengths. I mean, you don't necessarily want to be considered a running team when you have Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, whatever. But I think you need to be able to game plan very effectively for your opponent. And I think this team has struggled with that a little bit so far. 
And I think you need to have that. You just need to have that bread and butter stuff that you can do mm-hmm. when you need a score or when you need to run the clock or whatever it is. I mean, I don't want to see this team become the San Francisco 49ers offense. I don't want to see them run the ball 40 times a game. Um, but I'd like to be able to look at this team and say, this is how Freddie Kitchens and his offense works. This is what they do. When they're backed into a corner, this is what they do. And the, the best thing I can think of right now is they kind of run a bunch of gimmicks. And that's just not a sustainable offense. Well, they said over and over during the preseason, pick your poison. And I think ultimately that would be the best case scenario for them is that you have a team that one week it could be Jarvis Mm -hmm. and Odell. One week it could be Chubb. One week it could be, you know, Dave Nujoku if and when he gets back, you know, catching two touchdown passes or something. Um, But everybody seems to be immune Mm -hmm. (laughs) to their poison so far. Um, And, you know, I don't know that it's going to be one thing like it is with a lot of these other teams. They do have a lot of options. It's just figuring out how to make sure one is always working. And I, and I do think, I, I come back to this a lot, but I do think that they overestimated last year kind of how good they were in those last eight games. And I think they thought it was going to be a little easier this year than it is. But when you go against the 32nd ranked defense twice, the 31st ranked defense, 28th. I think there was a 27th in there. When you beat the Carolina Panthers because Cam Newton can't hit the ocean from the beach on that day. (laughs) And Uh, you were trailing them in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Denver Broncos, like, were – had no cornerbacks in that game, and they they still struggled. I think they had a safety playing cornerback. Yeah, they had a safety playing cornerback. I mean, they were down to nothing. Uh, And I think a lot of things kind of went their way, and they headed into this season maybe overestimating – what Baker needed to do to take the next step, and what Freddie needed to do to make, to take the next step. Yeah, and I want to add to that point that with things going their way, this has been so far a year where things aren't going their way, mm-hmm. and if this is going to make me sound like a Freddie apologist, whatever, so <laughs> be it. Um, other than turnovers, which, of course, this team has been having with Baker Mayfield interceptions, two things kill offenses penalties and drop balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the penalties speak for themselves. You know, a, a false start. What, even though it can just be five, is just five yards. Um, going from second and ten, which mm-hmm. then you assume is third and manageable, to second and 15, staying third and long, completely alters drives, mm-hmm. thus killing momentum. And the drops speak for themselves. Uh, Callaway in the end zone, I mean, that was that ended the game, essentially. Um, and then you the, the deep out in the 49ers game to Odell Beckham Jr. Not that that was necessarily a drop mm-hmm. from Odell Beckham, much like the Callaway pass. Baker simply should have been more accurate. But that's an example of two plays where you get those, and though it's just a 12-yard gain and you know a four-yard touchdown pass, these things can change very quickly. We see what the Browns can do when they gain momentum. You mentioned the right. Chubb run, the, the trap play, mm-hmm. um, and then a quick screen to Chubb and, uh, on the broadcast. Joe Tessori is just, and here come the Browns. You know, It, it can happen that quickly. Uh, the flags need to get cleaned up, and you, we assume Baker finds accuracy, and I think things will look very different. Uh, can we have a shout-out for Todd Munkin's uh, honesty today in calling <laughs> yeah. uh, that Antonio Callaway drop catastrophic? Mm-hmm. How many coaches would say that? I yeah. Think, yeah. You know, he, I, I got the feeling maybe he got talked to for his honesty earlier this season when he uh, noted <laughs> how the uh, the Browns had heard from the league about uh, a play mm-hmm. call, and, and yeah. Freddie, Freddie wouldn't address that later. Um, but, yeah, Todd was a little bit honest today, and... Yep. Uh, we appreciate kind of surprising. that. Yeah. yeah. He was. And I think it was the first time that he really kind of sat up there and just really kind of told it like it was. And he had a lot of nuggets in there today. And I think he's starting to 
I, I think he wishes he could say more than yeah. he's saying because, you know, some of this is coming back on him. I mean, there was a whole narrative that, you know, the Browns took back the offense presumably from Todd Munkin and gave it back to Freddie in the Ravens game, which I never thought was was true. But I think he's starting to now sit, like, sit up there and kind of own Yeah, and his. to your point, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm sure this guy wants to be head coach. Right. And you are getting a type of stain here, right. whether it's your fault or not. So I think there's yes. a lot of truth to that, Mary Kay. Exactly. All right. This is a very doomsday podcast for a, two, <laughs> for a two and three football team. But again, like we said, this is a reactionary league. And, yep. that, and that line in the NFL between winning and losing is so thin. It is an Antonio Callaway drop, or it is a Greg Zerline kick that stays outside the upright instead of slicing inside. You know, it's things like that. And that's just life in the NFL. And we spend a week. Uh, sometimes overreacting, sometimes not. But you also got to have your ear on the ground a little bit. And they like, could still go thirteen and three there for you go. anybody go. out there who predicted <laughs> them to go thirteen and three. I don't know who did three. that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. Exactly. Somebody, somebody might have saying there's a chance. You never know. And three. All right, we'll uh, we'll wrap that orange and brown talk podcast up here. Uh, we were going to talk about the defense, but we're over forty minutes here, so Steve Wilkes and the defense, you guys are off the hook uh, for this one. Uh, for Ellis, Mary Kay, Scott, I am Dan. Thanks for listening.